February 28, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Yeah, We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Boy, oh boy, Chip, you are in a hotel room in the Midwest. Welcome to cold, cold weather. It is cold, Steve. And that's why there's warmer areas. <laughs> is that why? We had quite an event this week. The ice storm that hit the Midwest, uh, power was out in my area for a day and a half. Some of my students, it's really cold for a while there this week. Well, I'm in, uh, you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if our listeners want to fire up and have a, um, what, a fire brewed Stroh's Light, Steve. Fire brewed <laughs> Stroh's Light. Land of beer and cheese. Welcome to Wisconsin. <laughs> Have an old Milwaukee on me, Steve. Film at 11. Our film at 11, our movie of the week. Oh boy, my friends, do we have two diverse titles to talk about today? I went to a movie theater this week, Chip. How about that? That sounds lovely, Steve. And you got to see a, a pretty fancy uh, film that was, uh, there, there is a, uh, what should we say, a, a little bit of truth in it. based on a true story the hit of february 2023 for a very specific group of people i went to the movie theater paid money to see cocaine bear and once again loosely based on a true story (laughs) sort of kind of 1985 a uh smuggler of drugs dropped their cocaine in a forest and died doing so and a bear came up to the body and consumed the cocaine and uh had the adverse effects of that drug (laughs) so steve you know certainly we got the, the the truth part out of it they built a story around what ended up happening tell us a little bit about that This movie is an homage to 1985 in so many ways. It is very neon 1985. The ideas of drugs in 1985, the ideas of family in 1985. It is very much uh, the writer's idea of that time. So is this a story about what happened with the the bear who consumed the cocaine or is this a story about 1985 well it's both i mean the central idea is the bear consumed the cocaine in 1985 what this story does is takes that small little nugget of historical truth and just expands it in a ridiculous way there are so many characters in this story this bear essentially is there to just destroy people (laughs) there's so much mayhem there's so much so is is this like jaws no this is nothing like jaws this is much more like tucker and dale versus evil which is a very silly horror film there is so much blood and mayhem in this story and it's so laugh out loud funny the way that the filmmakers have given us this horrific scene this is produced by lord and miller 
who are two guys that you've you've seen their films. My favorite Lord and Miller film is the Lego movie. And the joy that they brought me in the Lego movie is very similar to the joy that they brought me in this horrific comedy horror animal attack film. The director of this movie is Elizabeth Banks, who was wild style in the Lego movie. So obviously they, there's a connection there and they like making movies together. And they do it so very well. This is such a surprisingly good B-movie. This might be the best B-movie I've ever seen in my life. It is definitely unusual. It's definitely weird. It's ridiculous and joyous in the, the, the worst way possible when people are having limbs removed from their body. I love this movie. A certain demographic of people will watch this movie a lot for the next few years. Well, it's going to have a broader appeal than that. It's a comedy. There's something you know unique about it. And of course, Cocaine Bear. And the late Ray Liotta is the uh, the bad guy trying to get the cocaine back, and he does a fantastic job acting. Jesse Tyler Ferguson is uh, one of the hapless people that gets destroyed. Carrie Russell is the protagonist. She is the one who's trying to find her kids who happen to be lost in the woods while there's a cocaine bear on a rampage. Uh, so many great great moments of acting so many characters i there's character development in this story chip it is unbelievable that a silly ridiculous movie called cocaine bear has great character development and really good storytelling (laughs) you're never gonna see this movie this is not a this is not a movie for chip this is definitely a movie for steve and all of my friends online who have seen this and and most of us agree this is a fun time at the movies i bet it is you saw a very very different left turn of a movie you saw the new version of all quiet on the western front Yes, this is um, All Quiet on the Western Front is a remake of a film based on the book from a long, long time ago. Um, this is about World War One, And this is about a German soldier and their experience during World War One. Have you read this book or seen the film? No, I, I avoid most war stories. I, I don't enjoy that as theater. So tell us all about it. Well, this is a um, this is an anti-war book. Okay. Uh, because uh, basically, in fact, this this book in Nazi Germany was banned. Hmm. And that's because it was of this soldier's experience, or at least the writer, their, their experience um, in writing a story like this. The story starts with uh, teachers, uh, people celebrating. Like we want to go to war. We're 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 there for honor. We're there for the the uh, the beauty of that you can imagine in your mind of a war type situation, and so um, they joined the military willingly. I want to be in the military, and uh, they're giving a uh, uniform. In fact, that's one of the first scenes is when the guy is given his uniform, his young eighteen year old or so, and oh, it's got another person's name on that uniform. And the guy pulls off the tag and throws it on the ground. And as we know, that was a previous soldier's uniform. And that's important to remember on this. And then they're putting on their uniforms or marching off to the front lines. 
They're happy to be there. They're singing songs. And then the first attack comes. And they're on the Western Front. And uh, ultimately, what you also need to know about this is that the Western Front doesn't really move. Throughout the entire war, lives and lives and lives and lives and lives are lost, lost, lost. They're fighting over probably less than a half mile, maybe even a quarter mile worth of space. That line doesn't move at all. But the first thing that happens is he becomes shell-shocked because his buddy gets up, steps up, gets shot and killed. And all of a sudden, you realize this thing that you had in mind where you know war was this glorious place to earn honor is the reality of it. It's dirty, it's ugly, and you are nothing but meat. This story continues as he progresses through the, the war. There are train cars where the uh, German and the French are negotiating uh, the terms of having this in. Germany was the aggressor. France says there is no way to negotiate this. Just accept the terms. One of the, the gentlemen who is negotiating on behalf has had a son die in the war, recognizes the ramifications of this, but many of the other ones do not. You know, they're just negotiating. They're eating meals. They have full food. Okay, we have a, a scene where the soldiers go and they steal this. Um, they steal some eggs from a farmer, and the farmer, you know, firing shots at them, and the risk they would take because they're starving. They're just they just don't have enough food. Um, and there is a great scene where they have stolen a goose and they're eating the goose, and um, you can just see you know. The, the fat rolling down their face and stuff like that. But the reality is, is they, they're just not good food. Mm -hmm. And as his friends go away because they're killed, as this man goes through life, recognizing this is, they're just firing. There's, there is no point to this. There's no, nothing to gain. But, you know, once again, the, the, it's not like they're gaining any ground or losing you not to give away you know over a hundred year old um, novel but the ending of this movie is the end of the war has been called the 11th hour of the 11th day on the 11th month is when the uh fighting is to begin well there's a few hours left steve there's a few hours left before the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month mm -hmm. and our fictional general asked them to attack. So the war is over, hmm. except for they want this poetic end. Hmm. And these people are marching off, and our person that we're following throughout the war recognizes his life's worth nothing at that point. And ultimately, the war is over, and he dies, hmm. along with a lot of other soldiers, waiting for this hour to happen because mm. once again they want a poetic ending and wow. that's the poetic ending this is the best film i have seen this year i'll say 90 out of 100 this is really really good if you're watching this you cannot help but think about what's going on in the ukraine mm -hmm. and russia if you're following what's going on in taiwan and china and you're following what the united states could be dragged into these are the big questions you should be asking. Mm -hmm. This is the reason why Adolf Hitler 
banned this book because this is a German soldier's uh, story from World War One. Mm-hmm. And something I want to mention also is if you know anything about the American Civil War, then you realize that technology moves so much faster than the strategies of fighting. Mm-hmm. And in this World War One book, there are tanks that come. And you can't stop tanks with guns. And um, there's a, a, a scene where they bring out the flamethrowers. And it just, I mean, you can only imagine you're already in hell. And hell is even greater than that. Wow. And this is just a great, um, you know, World War II brings in the Air Force. I mean, World War One had some of the Air Force, too. But it just changes how we fight. Think about how we would fight today with drones and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What you could do. Can you hide? Can you create strategies of it? Or are you what these soldiers determined they were? Just meet. Mm-hmm. Just there to fight. It is an um, excellent, excellent film. You actually can watch it at theater or you can watch it at on Netflix now. So there are a few special performances here and there. Uh, But I watched it through Netflix. I watched it. uh, You have a choice when you're watching it. You can watch it with dubbed. This is um, filmed in German. Mm -hmm. Uh, I watched it in German with, you know, reading the dialogue underneath. And uh, I felt it was incredible. And once again, I I would not be surprised if this this doesn't win Picture of the Year. Wow. You're, You're going as far as this is your best film of 2022. Wow, that's powerful. I I will think about watching this film. Uh, it is not my genre, but that is that is very strong recommendation about how we look at war for sure. You also got a chance to go to the theater in our Adventures in a Black Box this week. The theater, Steve. The theater. You went to the Goodman Theater in Chicago and saw Tony Stone. Tell us all about this one. Steve, I, this is the best play I've seen in a long, long time. Wow. I can't remember seeing a play that surprised me more. So many plays, they, they're, I don't know, they can get uh, self-indulgent. They can uh, tell stories that you don't really want to know about or whatever. This is a story that is dark enough, light enough, comedic enough hmm. that you want to learn about. And so ultimately, this is about a woman playing on a Negro baseball league team and um, about her experience. So she was not able to play. So if you, if you watch league of their own, mm-hmm. you know, there's a women's baseball league, correct. The Rockford peaches were surrounded by those teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, she was black. So she was unable to play in that league. If you watch the league of their own series, there is a Negro league piece to that, where there is a character who is trying very hard to become a part of the Rockford peaches and, and finds her way through the, the Negro league instead. And that's probably this character. Probably. So, um, one of the, the, the Indianapolis clowns was our baseball team. Okay. And, um, they originally were a, a real baseball team. They played in the Negro League. But eventually, they um, became like the Harlem Globetrotters of a baseball team. And they would travel around and they play promotional games. And they were comedic and they had also, if you watch the Harlem Globetrotters, Mm -hmm. you watch them play all these tricks and stuff like that. And that that went up to like 1989, by the way. 
when, when they officially disbanded. But this is a story about Tony Stone. Tony Stone was a baseball player. And I read a little bit about her, and they, they took a lot of stuff that was spread out, and they put it so they could write it into a play. And um, Tony Stone's mother and father wanted her to be a lady. She loved baseball. She knew all the stats of baseball. In fact, during this play, if there was a, a scene that would come where something uncomfortable was happening, she would immediately start rattling off all the statistics she knows about baseball. It was a way of comforting her. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast is great. There is uh, Tony Stone, who's telling her experience, being part of the baseball team. There is a lot of situations based on the time that this takes place. There was segregation going on, the racial insults that would happen from the stands, the uncomfortable conversations they would have because she's a female. Eventually, she finds a husband, and she, you know, he convinces her to marry, marry him. And then um, she gives up baseball. Well, that happened for a year wow. <laughs> because she she loved baseball. He knew she loved baseball. She went back. She eventually played some other, for some other teams, which is beyond the story that we get from this play. Mm-hmm. Um, this, what I most enjoyed was just going down a piece of history. And it's kind of trivia history. This is, you know, is it important? Kind of-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is certainly a, a million years from now. I don't think anybody's going to be going, oh, this is the most important story. But for an, an American who grew up in not knowing that, oh, yeah, this lady was put on the baseball team and she was good. And, um, you know, they, they had some situations with the ownership. They had some situations with baseball players um, and how they had to uh, sleep at night and all the other fun stuff. This is just this little exploration with a little bit of um, trivia that was written into a wonderful play. If you get an opportunity to see it, go see it because this is fascinating. I just, it's, I left going, what, this is the best play I've seen in years. Wow. That's, that's pretty high praise. You, you see quite a few plays and, and <laughs> you have your, your tickets to uh, the season in North Carolina to come to Chicago, to see Tony Stone at the Goodman theater and to love it as much as it, it sounds like you really enjoyed this evening. That's very high praise from you. Now I'm going to add something. I'm wondering if we're going to get a whole season of really good plays hmm. because we had those seasons of COVID you know, a lot of seasons you're put together, there's, I'm throwing some things. If you're putting together a season, some plays cost more than others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you get a single person play. Sometimes you get ensemble plays. And sometimes you get ones that have grand sets and smaller sets and stuff like that. I'm wondering if we're going to have a really good season because we went through those two years or so of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point you have to come out yeah, bat swinging, Steve. Thank you very much. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. It is the end of the month. It is the end of the month of February going into March. It is time for Pamela Bedore to come and bring us some wonderful literature. Good morning, Pam. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? 
It is going well. You, my friend, you are on too much scrolling. February 28th, 2023. This is the five-year anniversary of the first appearance of Pamela Bedore on this show. Wow, is that right? Yes. You're Steve, we've made it. We finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've known you guys much longer than five years. It just seems that wow. way. That's what my wife says, too. It seems like it's been longer. Yeah. <laughs> March the 6th, 2018, you came on this show to talk about A Wrinkle in Time. Remember oh, that? Wow. Five years ago. So thank you for, for five years of friendship and five years of talking about literature talking about books this week we have i I think one of the better books that we've talked about this is called the pale blue eye published in 2003 by louis bayard i gotta tell you i picked this one this is my pick so i i'm coming in hot on this one this is a piece of literature pam Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. And I had not actually heard of the novel. I saw it like Netflix tried to get me to watch the movie and I didn't realize it was based on a novel. So thank you for bringing this to me. Yeah, I heard about this on NPR one day driving into work and I immediately texted both of you and said, this is a book that we should read. This is a uh, sort of based on a true story of a detective who is looking at a murder at West Point Academy in 1830. And he uh, finds a young cadet by the name of Edgar Allan Poe to be a part of his investigation. So what do you mean this is based on a true story? Well, Edgar Allan Poe was (laughs) at West Point in 1830, and that's about it. That's about the end of the true story part. I just wanted to verify. So yeah, and And, you guys probably know. West Point is a place. (laughs) Yes, West Point. 1830 was a time. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Edgar Allan Poe, one of my favorite all-time writers, And he did have such a fascinating life, which Bayard pulls on some of the real threads of Poe's life and then ignores others. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yes, he was a, he had a sketchy military career as a cadet at West Point in which, at which he was indeed a few years older than most of the others. Um, He did have a very, uh, troubled home life and his middle name Alan does come from his relatives named Alan but otherwise he was and and he was very very fond of course of jokes as you can tell if you read any of Poe's short stories or poems um otherwise this Poe is a little bit different he's so quirky he's such a character of of my knowledge of Edgar Allan Poe and Boy, the Netflix movie, the actor who plays him really embodies that quirkiness. He looked exactly like the pictures that we have of Poe. He was he was incredibly well cast. So the idea of West Point Academy, Edgar Allan Poe being this quirky outsider who is not really fitting in with his peers then there's this murder that occurs and and as many of us know Edgar Allan Poe is credited as the father of the detective novel so the whole time I'm thinking wow this is the story this is the origin story this is Poe Begins 
Absolutely. And it's actually kind of, it's amazing because Poe is really credited with being very central to the creation of three genres, detective fiction, science fiction, and horror. And so detective fiction is the sort of cleanest um, origin story. His uh, three short stories with um, Dupin, Le Chevalier Auguste C. Dupin, um, those are the murder of the Rue Morgue, mur- the mystery of Marie-Roger, and then the very famous purloined letter. Those are the sort of three short stories that people always look back to for modern detective fiction. She spoke French. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what, what I know of Edgar Allan Poe comes directly from the Adams family. So whenever <laughs> I think of the Adams family, I'm thinking of Poe because that is the, the basis of Charles Adams' writing was was this quirky guy from Baltimore. And Poe, of course, was a translator. And so Poe spoke perfect French. He set his first three detective short stories in Paris because it's more exotic. And so more crazy things could happen over there than in Baltimore. And that was one of the things, you know, there's quite a lot of French in this movie and in this novel. And Poe, of course, was an actual translator. And I recently read a really interesting article about how he translated some of the pre-Darwin work on evolution by a couple of French biologists. And so Hmm. he was really, he was really thinking about evolution before the theory of evolution um, was published in the 1860s after he had died. As I was reading this, I read this as like a a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle type story mm. and that's how i read it you know it wasn't in, in england it wasn't but you know basically we had our sherlock holmes character doing his thing um and at west point it's so american poe is is one of the first true american writers if we think about 1830 when this takes place poe is 20 ish and the nation is turning 50 from 1776 to 1830. He is one of the most American writers that I think of. And, and he has that that flair, that French and English flair that sets him apart from traditional America. But he's, he's so American. This is Baltimore. But this book is not written by Poe. He is a character that in the film. True. Or in the book. And the book. Yeah, the author here, Louis Bayard, is uh, very American. He's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. There's a New Mexico? <laughs> Isn't that where Bugs Bunny takes a left turn? Yes, he should have taken a left turn at, at Albuquerque. <laughs> and not to bring us back to Edgar Allan Poe and American literature, but he is also deeply responsible for bringing the Gothic to America. And when we think of the Gothic, we think of Europe, right? We think of those big castles. We think of the architectural style of the Gothic, the dark hallways, the secret passageways, where who knows what kind of dark rituals may be taking place. And Louis Bayard really, really capitalizes on Poe's relationship to the Gothic. It's wonderful. Just I briefly just looked up the military academy where this takes place, and the architecture there is Gothic, Victorian, and Tudor. Oh, so there is so you could easily make it a Gothic. You can always, if you're filming it, keep it Gothic if you were mm-hmm. in your brain. 
make sure it looks authentic. Whatever, it, however you say. The imagery in the movie definitely applies to that gothic view of things, and yes, the the military academy really helps with that. And it's interesting. I I want to go back to what Chip said before about thinking of Sherlock Holmes, of Holmes and Watson, as sort of related to our to Gus Landor and his assistant Edgar Allan Poe. Um, of course, Poe is actually the creator of that buddy detective scenario with Dupin and annoyingly the unnamed narrator. It's so annoying. As a scholar of American literature, we have no name for this guy who is the prototype for Watson and now Poe. However, one of the things I really, that made me really happy in this novel is one of the first meetings between Lander and Poe. Poe says, oh, the first murder was done by a poet. And Lander says, you know, what do you, what do you mean? And he says, oh, the stealing of the heart. You know, the heart is a symbol. Otherwise, he could have, if he wasn't a poet, he might have taken the bladder, he says, or something like that. And so that comes right, that is a reference to Edgar Allan Poe, because in the Dupin stories, Dupin says that the true murderer must be both a mathematician and a poet. And the heart is such a metaphor in Poe's work, the telltale yes. heart, you know, the, the heart is so central to our humanity and he utilizes that so well. And this author captured that so well throughout this story. And I love the theme that the author puts in about the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world. I love how he brings it back to poetry here because again, Poe is known for his poetry and his prose. And that's a line, as you might imagine, in the teaching of American literature, especially in our current day, that really gets evoked when people start thinking about how gender gets represented in Poe. And this is this notion that the death of a beautiful woman is, you know, the perfect topic for poetry. How do we read that? You know, is that a is that a sexist thought? Is that a celebration? What about an unbeautiful woman, right? Does she have to be beautiful? So this, you might imagine, has been read in many different ways um, by scholars of gender theory. And of course, in this novel, it ends up being almost a punchline. Is that fair to say? We, we don't want to give spoilers. I know. Why not give spoilers? This book is from 2003. I think that there's a joy to reading this book without knowing the end. I think that there is there is so much to discuss without discussing the end that we can get through a lot of conversation before we get to the wonderful ending of this book. Like all the puzzles that are presented here, we have the the detective novel. This is such a good detective novel trying to solve the crime, going along with the the detective and Edgar Allan Poe as his Watson finding the solution here. And actually, this makes perfect sense with Poe because Poe loved puzzles. He loved hoaxes and puzzles, especially acrostics, which end up being (laughs) very important to the solution of this mystery. I completely missed the acrostic. I don't know. Maybe it's partly because I was uh, listening. I was doing the audio book. 
It's hard to see an acrostic in an audiobook. Did you guys see the acrostic clue? I did not. I, I, I did the audiobook also. Okay. And so okay. I, I listened to it. And, you know, they have that book and he's know, deciphering it. I'm sorry, they had the, the, the paper and then they had, um, later on, they had the, the, the book. There's so many small details about paper in this so many pieces of paper (laughs) that that add up all of the clues are there that's what i love i love when a detective novel gives me all of the information it's not in in any way a secret what's going to happen it's like it's like it's the modern technology of the day imagine that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this really is This really is a classical detective novel in that you, the reader, get enough clues to solve the mystery, but you probably don't. (laughs) And then you get to the end and you think, oh, I should have seen it. I missed it. it. I did not see the clues (laughs) that were so well put out by the author here. And I actually really love that within the novel, Poe is not popular with his classmates at West Point, which was indeed, which is very accurate to to his experience. But one of the ways that he made people like him was by doing these really funny little poems. And that is actually something that Poe did. He was an incredibly good satirist. So he would do really well in like a rap battle today. He could just really quickly come up with all kinds of really fast rhyming insults. And so that happens in the novel and that is actually something that he was well known for. And the author was able to give us the voice of Poe and the voice of the detective in such a different way. Yes, this is an epistolary novel. It's completely it's completely told through documents. So we get the journal of Gus Landor and then he provides us other documents in the time. And you guys, this is at the center of Gothic literature. We've read Dracula together. Dracula is my favorite epistolary novel of all time. But this is actually a very, very good uh, 21st century version of the form. Agreed. So you guys, let me ask you, and I feel like, Chip, you maybe don't, you're not as much of a Poe fan as Steve or I are, but what are the, what are the, benefits and what are the drawbacks of having a historical figure a real person end up in your fictional novel well if you know anything about uh, a, a character anything that deviates from what you think is that character certainly could undermine the credibility of the of, of the person playing the character or how it's written and i think the author did a really good job giving us that long view that view of Edgar Allan Poe as we know him as a character in history maybe inaccurate in the in the small details but in the broader view I really saw Edgar Allan Poe in this book I was very impressed as well and it's such a pleasure to see a character that you know as a historical figure to see that person as a character who's having conversations that he never had, but that he could have had. So I kind of loved it. And not just conversations, the writing style. I mm-hmm. think he really captured the writing style that I think of when I think of how Poe uses very flowery language in this period. This is the romantic period, right? It is. And he also, I feel like Bayard does a great job 
of just capturing the 19th century aesthetic in general. Mm -hmm. And so we've got the Gothic, as we've talked about, we have the uncanny where something is almost, but not quite how you would expect it. We have spiritualism with Poe who says he's getting some of his poems from his dead mother. Mm -hmm. We have Leah who's connected to her dead uncle we have all kinds of temporal discontinuities and those are wonderful, right? And we also have Landor, you know, our main character, he's just such a 19th century Gothic guy. He's lost his wife. His daughter has run away. He's all by himself. He drinks too much. You know, he talks a lot to his horse. (laughs) Like it's a very... It's a very, like, again, taking the European Gothic and placing it in America. People must have really, I don't know, drunk themselves into a stupor uh, during that mm-hmm. time. Like, it, it must have been pretty common. It was. I mean, alcoholism is absolutely a huge issue. And I mean, Edgar Allan Poe died very, very young. There's so, And that's the other thing about Poe as a historical figure is that there are many mysteries surrounding his death. Like he, his body was found wearing someone else's clothes and no one to this day, we will really never know exactly why that was. There are many, many theories, but yes, alcoholism was a huge problem. And there were also many more men than women in America at this time, which causes all sorts of problems as well. So what were your, some of your favorite parts of this novel? Well, I mean, the end, but we won't go there yet. So we'll we'll I, get there eventually. <laughs> now, this is going to sound awful, but really early on, I was very fascinated with the representation of the first body, the first cadet who's been killed, and how they had him in this alcohol bath. And again, like, oh, the gothic horror of it. This was straight out of a Poe story. He's holding something mm-hmm. in his hand. I mean, how, first oh, of all, how... And the- he breaks the fingers, right? And you you hear the sound of the breaking fingers. Oh, it's so good. And once again, we're, we're in a military facility, and somehow someone hasn't seen that. Imagine that. <laughs> This is before forensics, though, you guys. Correct. This is an 1830 chip. Remember okay. that Sherlock Holmes in 1887. This is like six decades earlier. Um, but this is still Holmes- the military academy. This yes. Is, this is not. <laughs> but this it hadn't is, been this invented. Is not some, you know, we're out in the frontier place. We're talking right. about a professional. This is West Point. I know <laughs> the military academy. Yes. I also, I loved the scene where Leah goes mad. And of course, you know, female madness is a huge topic. It's a huge anxiety that's developed through Gothic literature. And then when she goes to throw herself off this balcony over a cliff and, I mean, Landor heroically, almost super heroically, saves her and that was a really really long scene but i was like you know it was a gripping scene all the way through 
there were so many moments in this storytelling where where we are trying to solve the mystery along with the detective and and so many characters that i was like aha she's <laughs> the one it's got to be her and the the author just gives us so many great moments like that yes it's the doctor it's the colonel it's the wife <laughs> it's the barmaid <laughs> then there's the sword fight in the closet that oh. is such a well-written scene i absolutely see in my mind's eye what is happening landor is behind the coats and they're stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and missing and stabbing and missing and missing and stabbing and he he gets out of that situation and checks his body to see if he was cut i i loved the writing there i did too i really love that scene did you have any favorites chip well i i the the cracking of the fingers was kind of an interesting yes. part where the cadet was in the in the bath um i like the the scene where he's up on the balcony and like they're putting white rocks in the soil on where there's some kind of indentions uh in the soil they're trying to, to map out how something took place there's so many pieces and and when they made the adaptation of this into the movie they did not include some of those great scenes the the sword fight in the closet is not in the movie and that would have been so hard to film i bet they I bet they thought, ooh, great scene. And then they were like, eh. um, <laughs> like, how do you even show that? Because there is a closet in the movie. Yeah. There is a uniform yeah. that they find in the closet, but the closet is enormous. It is like a full room with a tiny little rack of coats in the middle of it. And and I'm looking at that going, okay, so that <laughs> do they just not have the right space for the the thrill of you are in the first person seeing in the in the novel in my mind's eye this stabbing this this fear this terror of I, I'm tr they are trying to kill me some mysterious someone is trying to kill me. Yes, I was looking forward to that scene. Actually, a couple of my favorite scenes were not in the movie. So let's talk about the movie for a minute because I watched it sort of in tandem. I read, I would read a few chapters of the novel and then I would watch the movie. This is one of the movies that I have seen that has the highest fidelity to the novel. So every scene in the movie, to me, felt like it was almost exactly how it was described in the novel. It's just that they left out many, many scenes as they had to do. But it, did, did you think that? I know, Steve, you watched this movie. I sort of think that, but at the same time, I think that they changed the the emotional status of the characters. I think a book, generally speaking, a novel can give us that emotional first person feeling where a third person adaptation doesn't give us that same sense of what they are thinking during those scenes. Well, that's true. Although I thought the actors were terrific. Oh. I really thought both Christian Bale as Gus Landor and Harry Melling, who I didn't know before as Edgar Allan Poe, they were both absolutely terrific. Then I thought that the vibe between them, that sort of, it's almost a mentor-mentee, but then it's also almost a Sherlock Watson, and yet, you know, Poe is the one, <laughs> we've never heard of Gus Landor Poe is the one that we know as a young man is going to become 
a historical figure that changes the face of American literature. So it is a very good dynamic. And that was captured. The dynamic, I think, was beautifully captured. I I think that they did not capture the friendship from the novel. I think the two of them became good friends in this investigation. They, they were drinking alcohol together and really examining their lives together in the book that they did not do as much in the movie. Christian Bale is spectacular. Phenomenal. Maybe his best acting that I've seen Jillian Anderson. Okay. Thank you very much. The moment Jillian Anderson hits the screen. My wife turns her head and goes, I know that you heard her voice. Uh, I love Jillian Anderson. I I love her. And and she does such a great job as the mother in this, that scene where the mother absolutely loses her mind. So well written in the book. So well acted in the movie. Robert Duvall shows up. We've got (laughs) Harry Melling. You you haven't mentioned Harry Melling played Dudley Dursley in the Harry Potter films. He is that child actor who has become an adult and has just that that Edgar Allan Poe look down. Absolutely. I want to say to big shout out for the audio book. Because that male reader of the audiobook did a phenomenal job of the mother losing her mind. And yes. it's not always easy for male narrators to do great women's voices and vice versa. He was phenomenal. I agree. He was he was really good. It's such a well-written scene. I, I absolutely understand the stress that that woman is going through and, and that moment where she loses her mind that's so Edgar Allan Poe it is (laughs) well and it's so gothic it's so Mm -hmm. 19th century gothic Mm -hmm. the the hysterical woman and then trying to figure out what's behind it and oh yes there's something really worthwhile behind it and while we're on the subject of women we get to some of the other characters who are who are represented in this novel yes so although we do have our two buddy detectives um, at the center. We have way more really strong and interesting women in this novel than we than we get in either Poe's Dupin stories or Sherlock Holmes. We have Patsy, who's the voluptuous barmaid, who's maybe in love with Landor, even though she's also available to all of the cadets, apparently. Mrs. Marquis, who's incredible. And then we have Leah Marquis, Poe's love interest, who's super fascinating. And then we also have sort of running through the whole thing, Gus Landor's dead wife and his missing daughter, Mm -hmm. who are also major female characters. And so I think there is a sense of treating women the way that Poe treated women as these, you know, figures of beauty that make you see the, the interesting elements of men. But there's more than that. Bayard is writing a 21st century novel. I love how much control Patsy the barmaid takes in the relationship. There is so much to that character that the author gives her power, that she is deciding who she is in this situation so well. Right. And she's not 
constrained by the same sexual norms as the middle and upper class women. And that's very realistic to the 1830s. You just have two really different sets of sexual mores depending on class. Sure. So I think at this point, we need to give a a warning that we are now going to move away from the literary piece and go to the mystery of this story. Because, boy, uh, there is a big switch that is thrown in this. And and that's a spoiler in and of itself. So those of you who have not read this yet, I really recommend that you fast forward this about five minutes, maybe ten, because we are going to discuss uh, the end of this story at this point well and you guys i had such a hilarious experience of reading this because the three of us were reading it and at some point steve reaches out and says i needed a trigger warning and i had just read the really horrifying scene where poe is on the table and leah eats the human heart <laughs> and i was like whoa i know what you just saying. eats it not just eats it chokes on it chokes and on darn it. near so- dies because she is asphyxiated by it no, so awesome. i was like yeah good point so i reach out and say yeah steve good point and steve says i know what happens to a lot of people and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> know how humans are sometimes you, doing these rituals choking on human hearts and um yeah you were a little bit further ahead than i was I, i'm right that was i'm right down the street her. from uh dahmer by the way jeffrey dahmer oh, right. <laughs> yeah that was not what i was referring yeah. to in that text chain i was referring to the brutal rape scene in this novel which uh, in the movie is even more yeah. startling and, and even more brutal. Yes. So <laughs> trigger warnings for many things. So yes, forgive me for <laughs> probably an un, uh, <laughs> an unwarranted response. Um, and you know, there's also trigger warnings for suicide. So, mm-hmm. so yes. Now <laughs> I was reading the audiobook and I get to chapter 40 of 45 and the mystery is all wrapped up. We have our our very Edgar Allan Poe ending, right? Mm-hmm. We have this spiritualism. We have the dead uncle asking for sacrifices, human and animal. We have witchcraft. We have the brother and sister who have, I suspect, a somewhat inappropriate relationship. Um, you know, it's a real Edgar Allan Poe ending. But for then sure. you're like, why is there still an hour left in this novel? Exactly. <laughs> or presumably if you're reading the paper book, you're like, wow, I still have like 50 pages to go. And then all is revealed. And this is this is so wonderful. Were you guys satisfied with the ending and the many I'm- endings? I was thrilled with that ending and then the author's ability to switch the story on us completely and to reveal that the real killer is the protagonist, the detective, the one who has been the narrator of this story. I I don't know that that's ever been done before. This is brilliant. Well, most famously, Agatha Christie. Um, has done it. I shouldn't name the novel in case you don't know about it, but in the 1940s, Agatha Christie did that story and um, it's her most famous novel. So I probably don't even need to name it, but it's true that I would say this is like 
this is the best version of that that I know since Agatha Christie's famous example, which is just as good. It's so difficult to make the narrator, the protagonist, the one who is responsible for all of the mystery and he's done it so well here that all the clues were there mm-hmm. every step of the way all the clues were there but i didn't solve this murder along with the detective nope neither did i and i bet almost nobody did <laughs> which is why it was so satisfying but then we get a number of endings right so we get poe of course is the one who figures it out so Landar wasn't going to tell us, you guys. He wasn't. <laughs> he was going to leave us exactly where we were. But Poe is the one who figured it out. So then we get the revelation of what really happened to Maddie. She didn't run away with someone. She actually was brutally raped by three cadets and killed herself by jumping off a cliff, which then gives you this completely different understanding of that amazing scene where Landor saves Leah from the exact same fate. And so now that gives the scene that feeling of a father trying to save a daughter instead of a detective trying to save his prime suspect. And that could be a real basis for a rereading of this story. What do we know as a result of that ending that changes everything about the story that if we read this book again, would we get a completely different adventure out of this? Well, and that's what the reviewer in Kirkus Review said. Once you get to the end of this, you want to reread the book. And I'm sort of satisfied, but I I get that. I think that I, you know, if I do reread the book in a few years, it will be a super different experience from knowing the end. It, it would be interesting to hear if you ever taught this book in class. Yeah. I, I don't know how you would approach it. It's a great question. I think it would be a very teachable book, though. I would consider teaching this in my American detective fiction class. It, it really gets at a lot of American tropes of the period and a lot of homage to Poe. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I wanted to ask you guys. So in the, in the third ending, so... Landor gets, um, he gets in the mail another document, which is a clipping that the third cadet, the one that he didn't kill, has been hanged. So, I mean, I guess we're to assume that Poe is a murderer. Or not. (laughs) Or not. The author, the author absolutely puts that out there as a possibility, but does not, absolutely does not say that that is what happened. I love that ending. What do you guys think happened? I think it's quite possible. I think it's quite possible that in this author's imagination of who Edgar Allan Poe is maybe Edgar Allan Poe was writing these stories about the the telltale heart and all of these murders and all of these things because he truly was living that life I think the author might believe that I don't know I don't know again most of my knowledge of Edgar Allan Poe comes directly from the Adams family and the Adams family were definitely not murderers they talked about murder they talked about death they talked about punishment for murder all the time but we never see them actually committing these crimes and i think it is possible to read the cadet as having hanged himself from guilt possible 
right? And then that that's just a poetic thing that Poe would want to um, make sure that Landor knows about. So you can read it absolutely either way. Now, at the very ending, there was a quote that I really liked. <laughs> you guys know, I know you guys always indulge me with my with my quotes from the ending. I love it. This one's really good. It's about time. This is Landor in his journal. But you see, I'd come to a new way of thinking about time. It's not the hard and fixed thing we imagine it to be. No, it's something soft and pleated and under extreme pressure, it folds so that people generations apart are not together, forced to stand on the same ground and breathe the same air. And it no longer makes sense to speak of living or dead because no one ever does one thing or the other, not completely. And you guys here, of course, Landor is talking about the fact that as he's reaching the end of his own life, he's starting to see his dead mother and other people from personages from his real life who have died. But I think that as a statement, it stands for literature, right? Poe's never dead because we always get to read him. And not only do we get to read what he wrote and what people who knew him wrote, we get to read what someone 200 years later can write with all of the knowledge of the last 200 years. This is about the power and the beauty of literature. And you guys know that's my very favorite kind of quote of all. (laughs) And I keep talking about the Adams Family. I've said on the show before that I saw John Astin on stage doing a one-man show where he portrayed Edgar Allan Poe. And it was brilliant. The, The ability for us to go back in time to experience that person that even if it's a character that idea of edgar Allan poe is timeless we have him in anytime we want we can go and see edgar Allan poe and see what he was thinking yes people generations apart are knocked together and sometimes that can be a bit of a violent knocking or it can be a more <laughs> raven-like knocking at your chamber door (laughs) okay so there's so a part of the story is is edgar Allan poe's writing about lenora right but but it's not lenore in this story right right it's so it's a different name and then landor yes And I'm like, wait a minute, is this this again Poe Begins? Because, you know, uh, Christian Bale was in Batman Begins, and this is Christian Bale doing a Poe. (laughs) I I love this. I love this story. Of course, Gus Landor is Le Chevalier, c'est Augustin Dupin. So so Poe's detective's first name is Augustin beautiful that's uh, that's, this is so well put together this is so well well written it has all of those allusions to all of that literature and i i love this detective story how about you chip how did you feel about this story i like this story i'm glad we read it so it was good i did not see the movie but i enjoyed reading this story and and i don't know what it would be like to watch the movie first and then read the story because boy that spoiler at the end changes everything about the story uh i'm glad that i watched it in tandem the way that i did that was that was pretty lucky on my part 
Well, and I do suspect that this novel from 2003 is going to get a lot more reads with this movie coming out almost 20 years later, um, which which really does capture the novel super well. So thank you, Steve and Chip, for bringing this to me, because I very well might teach this in my detective class. I really enjoyed it. And thank you, Pam, for for joining us for five years of this show, our our wonderful book club. We will go on, we will have a book for the month of March, and we will see all of the wonderful literary connections that you can make and you bring to us. And we go, yeah. (laughs) And that you guys bring to me. Thank you. That's The Pale Blue Eye, published in 2003 by Louis Bayard. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's so many things happening in the world, Chip. Let's talk about almost none of them. We already talked about the weather. Let's talk about Mystery Science Theater 3000. We haven't talked about that yet today. All right. Starting tomorrow, March 1st, 2023, the new season, season 13 of Mystery Science Theater, is going to be outside of the Gizmoplex. That is the app that they built to be the exclusive home for Mystery Science Theater. Now that that season is concluding, now those of you who didn't pay to see it will be able to see it on Pluto TV, exclusively on Pluto TV, get the new episodes of Mystery Science Theater. Here's the thing, Chip. I talk to a lot of people about Mystery Science Theater and they go, oh, I used to love that show. Remember when that show was on I say, yes, on Friday it was on because the new season just happened and so many people don't know that there's a new season. Now Pluto TV will be showing some of those great moments from season 13. So it's the one season, right? They only got the one season. Pluto TV has been showing old classic episodes of Mystery Science Theater for years now. And that is where I go for the classic episodes. This is the first season of the new episodes. They they did not have access to seasons 11 and 12, which were the Netflix years. So those of you who have Netflix, you can access those. And I love those. But season 13 has something special as well. Well, that's wonderful for, for people who enjoy this. Yeah. And season 13 is is ending on Friday, March 3rd. There's a live wrap-up episode, the first year of the Gizmoplex, the potential announcement of the team's plans for the next year of Mystery Science Theater productions, making fun of movies. I look forward to the future of this wonderful franchise. I I know I talk about mystery science theater too much. I get it, but I love it. I just love it. Cocaine bear is going to be a classic. All quiet on the Western front has been a classic for so long. And the pale blue eye is going to be one of those stories that I think we're going to be talking about for a long time. We want to thank Pam Bedore for coming in once again and talking about literature with us, literature, as well as the theater today. So wonderful. It's, it's just been great chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. 
I think we can, depending on how full of beer and cheese you are in the land of Wisconsin. Uh, we will come back next week and have some more fun talking about the things that are important to us. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenclough. See you in the future. So we don't talk about what I want to talk about. What I want to thank you for. What I want to thank you for.